0: First, you have to master the body. So kendo is quite unusual, is that you have to master the very basic movements of walking again, or very specific kendo walking, as we call it, and very basic cuts, cutting for the head, cutting for the wrist, the torso, or the throat. It's very specific. It's not like free-for-all where you can just start chopping away any limb. Now, that directly translates to the outside, is when you stay focused, stay focused on one thing. Or at most four things. That's the only target you should be going for. Don't let any other distractions get you. If you want to go for that head cut, the men cut, go for it. Don't try to cut his ear off or his nose or his shoulder. Just aim for that one target. And that's a direct translation of, you know, what you're learning to strike for one target in the dojo to take it outside in life. Don't get so distracted with so many other things. Stay focused on what your target is. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice, and today I have a very personal episode I want to share with you. In line with this show's mission of exploring the link between the brain and identity, I've decided to go on a journey to better connect my mind and body. To do so, one of the activities I'm exploring is martial arts. As a kid, like many of us, I was fascinated with the body power and mental discipline of martial artists, from Bruce Lee to the Samurai Warriors. After travels to the East over the past couple of years, that childhood enthusiasm was reignited and attached to my current goals of mastering my mind and body, I'm on a journey. I'll be bringing you three episodes in this mind body series. But first up, meet Warren Ho. Warren is a martial arts teacher introduced to me by a friend after attending a kendo class kendo, which means the way of the sword, an ancient Japanese martial arts form the samurai used to defend Japan, I was blown away at the power of this art form to mirror my journey and life. Literally, how I moved the sword, how I attacked and defended myself, was literally how I was moving in the world. Warren and I set out to tailor a mind-body program that incorporates many martial arts techniques. So, if you see me on the street, make sure you don't try anything i don't want to use my dragon slicing technique to humble you i just made that up guys meet warren ho enjoy all right here we go all right welcome back to the brain and branch show i'm your host timothy maurice and today we've got a special guest in studio mr warren ho he's a martial arts and self-defense teacher
0: warren welcome thank you tim great to be here
1: You and I met because I was referred to you by a friend of mine who I played basketball with because I was interested in the martial arts. And then I came to a couple of your classes, one being kendo, and then the second being uh, a self-defense class. And I was extremely impressed by both the gentle kindness as well as the sheer discipline in your approach. And the ultimate goal of this conversation is to explore... The mind body connection and your sort of philosophies around mind and body and the importance of connecting mind and body. But let's start
0: with who you are and where you grew up. Do you consider yourself South African? Absolutely, I'm 100% South African I always call myself the, the yellow pot of the rainbow nation So yes, even though I have Chinese ethnicity, I am 100% South African
1: Take us back to where your family comes from Three generations ago, your grandparents, great-grandparents Which part of Asia were they from? Yeah,
0: okay, so my, my dad actually uh, was a direct, came directly from China He was from the southern part of China, Guangzhou and my mother came uh, She was born in South Africa So her parents were also from Guangzhou So that makes me about a two and a half generation You know um, But yeah I've been back to China quite a few times And every time I go There's such amazing development in China It's still uh, considered the motherland My dad loves there And obviously um, Yeah We still pay a lot of respect to where we come from Sure
1: Every region of the world has a sort of an identity. If you go to India, you think of, you know, eat, pray, love. You go to West part of America, you think of the IT sort of Instagram, Facebook hub of the world. What's interesting about your connection between China and South Africa is that your identity, both regions sort of come through when engaging you. And tell us a little bit about the South African in you versus the, the Chinese person in you In terms of who you have become Wow,
0: that, that's a very deep question And I, I think Growing up in apartheid South Africa It was a very confusing time For me and I had to ask myself exactly Those questions uh, So just to put it in context, I was 18 when apartheid Was abolished in South Africa So that makes me quite an oldie But up until 18 I was um, at a Chinese school uh, For a number of years Before I transitioned to a non-Chinese school. So I was questioning a lot of, you know, am I Chinese or am I South African? When I am here in South Africa back then, I didn't feel South African enough. I was segregated and put into a Chinese sort of area only. When I went back to China, It would be, well, you know, you're not Chinese enough. You don't even speak our language perfectly. (laughs) So I was very confused as to where I was. And it was only after reading uh, Nelson Mandela's book, actually, Long Walk to Freedom, that I really got an understanding as to the, you know, what was happening in South Africa. And this was quite a few years later during my vast years that I read the book and I really go, wow, did that really happen in the 18 years that I grew up in South Africa? You know, my parents had shielded me so well from sort of the, the apartheid sort of regime. That it was almost oblivious to me uh, There were obviously telltale signs You know, things like um, being confined to certain areas That we could stay in, that we could work in uh, But that for me was, I thought it was just normal Until I sort of realized that it wasn't that normal um, So yeah, so that that is sort of my South African-ness I had to come to terms with being... Um, South African Chinese. Sure. And that was, you know, sort of my definition of who I am. I I have Chinese ethnicity. We pay homage to our culture, our uh sort of our heritage, but at the same time I'm very South African. You know, I love the typical braais. I love eating biltong and droewors. Um <laughs> and you know, I speak I speak an, an African language, well, both a little bit of Zulu and Afrikaans. Uh, but yeah, that makes me I think very South African in all the senses.
1: Which which can you speak better? Mandarin? <laughs> Or Afrikaans Or Zulu
0: Oh that's okay So my parents Would probably uh, Put their head in shame But I speak Afrikaans Better than I do Chinese Mandarin Or Cantonese Are you serious? I am serious <laughs>
1: <laughs> But you can engage If you meet someone Who is You know Who can't speak English And they speak uh, Mandarin or Cantonese You can You can engage them y-
0: Yes absolutely So probably just Very rudimentary uh, Engagement You know how, how are you What do you need Uh But when they start Waffling off in terms Of what they really need Then I'm like Okay uh, <laughs> I need Google Translate. I need a proper translator or phone dad. Dad, help me Archer.
1: <laughs> I have enough Asian friends to know that the stereotype of everyone in China knowing martial arts is not the case. Uh, so how did you come across the martial arts and, and create the sort of career um, where you teach and instruct um, and inspire people to go on a lifelong journey of connecting their mind and body?
0: Okay so interesting journey i mean like all kids and probably a lot of asian kids we watched a lot of um chinese series that were based on sort of ancient times of Chinese uh, folklore and superheroes or martial artists that could fly through trees, uh, you know, shoot beams of magic through their their hands. So there was a lot of um, Chinese series that I watched when I was a kid. And obviously the Jackie Chan movies were big and a lot of Hong Kong cinema. And that sort of influenced my my decision to do martial arts. I didn't really get an opportunity uh, very early on um, purely because even though I did some karate at school, our my dad's working program was too hectic to take me on the weekends so it was only during varsity that i really got into taekwondo which is a korean martial art wasn't exactly what i wanted to do but the teacher that was instructing it was amazing so i decided to learn taekwondo from him and And what
1: what in that moment when you first connected with
0: taekwondo yes what was it about that you enjoyed? So, Taekwondo, and specifically WTF Taekwondo, or was it called WT Taekwondo now, is uh, the Olympic style. It's um, characterized by dynamic kicks, high flying kicks, flying kicks, reverse hook kicks, and, you know, just the sheer sort of uh, visual entertainment of it was amazing. And that's sort of what attracted me. What was more amazing is actually having someone, my instructor Scott Crowder, do it in front of you, and it was like, Man, this guy is defying the laws of gravity He's like (laughs) floating on air How does he do that? And I wanted to learn that It was everything I'd seen when I was a kid Guys flying in the trees And kicking in the air He was doing exactly that And what level
1: did you get to In this particular discipline?
0: So in Taekwondo I'm a fourth degree black belt And then I decided to sort of Pursue my kinder career uh, because it was very difficult doing both, they have very conflicting principles. So I stopped when I was a fourth degree in Taekwondo. So I
1: came. My first class that I came to was Kendo. Tell us a little bit about the history of Kendo and yeah. and you know your work around Kendo.
0: So Kendo um, is a Japanese martial art, and it's sort of based derived from the sort of the, the the art of the samurai. So our very uniform is sort of modeled after the samurai's armor. From the headgear to the to the tip, to the torso um, protector to the gauntlets or the, the ones that protect your wrists, all of it is supposed to represent a samurai. And the sword, absolutely, you know, everybody knows or sort of links the samurai to a to a katana or a sword, and that's where kendo comes from. What got me started was my taekwondo instructor wanted to do a traditional martial art like kendo. And he was the one that introduced me to it. My first thought was, "This is crap. <laughs> there's no practical application." <laughs> uh, you know, we're hitting each other with swords. There's armor. It's not not real like the taekwondo that I knew, where you could knock people out, you know, as in KO them. So I had a bit of resistance initially, but afterwards, um, and it was after I broke my hand <laughs> doing kendo, I took a year break, came back, and it was thereafter I sort of fell in love with it.
1: Oh wow! And you look. At this particular, at some point in Kendo, in the history in Japan, the samurai was really seen as a high-discipline, high-level uh, figure in society. Yes.
0: So the, the samurai were, um, from a hierarchy perspective, were basically right after the emperor and the shoguns. They were the sort of the... What would you call them? The army that would control the population. So the samurai were very highly regarded, and because they f- followed a very strict code of Bushido, you know, they were totally loyal to their master, and if they didn't have a master, they were required to take their own lives. So they had a very strict code of conduct and discipline that required them to train uh, constantly and just be in that constant mindset that, you know, today might be the last day. Hence the whole Sakura uh, analogy is that you know the samurai's dream was to die on the battlefield, to blue, to die when he was at full bloom. So there was that always that ethos of Bushido, which uh, samurai, you know, back then used to follow.
1: There are many reasons why someone would pursue a journey in and around the martial arts. Um, you know, one of the one of the funny reasons is your Instagram will be popping because this stuff looks really really cool. Yeah, but I can imagine the reason why you decide to teach this. Is to help people Connect their mind and body Their spirit And have more sort of Been able to channel themselves At a high level
0: When did you actually start The site I'm going to teach this So very interesting You know when I decided that It was a conscious choice But it was also A journey that I had to go through I I've always loved martial arts And I've experimented probably on a dozen, two dozen different martial arts. You know, Taekwondo is one of them. So was Kendo, Wing Chun, Hapkido, Sistema, Krav Maga. And what I found with Kendo is that Kendo has so much depth to it. The whole ethos of Kendo is about self-development through the use of a sword. And that's what they how they're painted. Now, the idea is the deeper you go into Kendo, the deeper you understand yourself. At the end of the day, is when you're standing in front of an opponent, that opponent is really just a reflection of yourself and what you what you face there is your fears, your um, your doubts, whatever you might have. That becomes your opponent, and Kendo teaches you that. And when I realized that, I'm like, wow, this can be just, this can be more than just martial arts. This goes beyond just body. This goes to helping someone understand what happens in their mind, and even a deep level what happens from them spiritually. So that's why I decided to start teaching it.
1: One of the things that blew me away in that first class that I attended was you said that you can tell. By how a person moves and engages you Often what's happening in their life Yeah Explain that
0: So I have a I have a, a, a Basically an analogy What happens in the dojo Is just a microcosm of what happens to you Outside the dojo and The, the way dojo that you, is? The dojo is the, the training hall that you okay, engage The training in. hall yeah. okay. What happens I, in the training hall? Yeah what happens in the training hall Or the dojo Is just a microcosm of what's happening in your life So I can only be your sensei In the dojo And this is what I tell my students But looking at what you do and how you interact with me during Keiko or during a sparring session can tell me a lot as to what's happening outside your life. Whether you have a lot of frustrations, you're fighting with anger, you know, there's something at work that's sort of hampering you from performing. I can see that when you start Keiko with me, it's all rigid and hard or you're frustrated or you're fighting angry and then i can immediately tell listen something's not going right in your life that you're taking it out here and that's the right place to take it out take it out in the dojo rather than taking out there and the idea is it's a flip side if you can manage it in the dojo you can manage it outside there as well and that's what i try to teach my my students That's one of many, you know, I've had many of my students say to me, they feel so much better after kendo. And that translates to having a better relationship outside the dojo, whether they they go home and they're more relaxed, they're more calm, or something as simple as just driving on the roads, you know, when they get back, yeah, well, is it really worth it? Can I just drive on the road without being uh, a victim of road rage? And that's where kendo comes in a lot of time, being able to control that anger, uh, those negative emotions and depression.
1: Let's talk about that. Let's talk about specifically how the the art being inside of the dojo and being in the space, learning the art, performing, engaging it naturally, how that translates into the real world and how that translates. Mm. Let's talk specifically about how that actually works. Is it the repetition? Is it the understanding? What part of the process is actually helping you apply yourself into the real world?
0: Okay, so it's a three part, let's call it a three phase thing, right? First you have to master the body. So kendo is quite unusual Is that you have to master the very basic Movements of walking again Or very specific kendo walking Ashi sabaki as we call it And very basic cuts Cutting for the head Cutting for the wrists The torso or the throat It's very specific It's not like free for all Where you can just start chopping away any limbs
1: And by the way the, You're using The sword is actually a wooden sword, it's bamboo, a, sword yes, a yeah, bamboo sword yes It's not actual You're not cutting people who Colorect,
0: Correct okay. and, and you are quite protected with the armor but the idea is that it's only those four targets which you need to discipline yourself to be able to hit and strike those only. Now that directly translates to the outside is When you stay focused, stay focused on one thing. Or at most four things. That's the only target you should be going for. Don't let any other distractions get you. If you want to go for that head cut, the men cut, go for it. Don't try to cut his ear off or his nose or his shoulder. Just aim for that one target, and that's a direct translation of you know what you're learning to strike for one target in the dojo to take it outside in life. Don't get so distracted with so many other things. Stay focused on what your target is. Whether you're creating content, whether you
1: are running for president or whatever you're doing zoom in on that target absolutely and it was interesting i mean you know just coming from one session i remember leaving thinking that that typically in a fight um if you're not trained you don't have this sort of self-mastery you are kind of all over the place you're just swinging if you think about a kid who gets into a fight they just hands are just if you think about their yeah. hands are just going that's all over a- the place they're not there is zero focus right for sure and would you it seems like that's what's happening with people in this uncertain economy Yeah We just kind of swing in And all over the place
0: <laughs> that, that is so true You know And uh, you know One of My taekwondo instructor made, made a very good point The one time He said You could be swimming In an ocean But if you're heading off Nowhere You're eventually Going to drown and, lo- and lose steam So you've got to be Aiming for a shoreline To get to safety So Martial arts training is exactly that. You've got to have a focus as to where you're going. And as you said, you know, out in life, if you're just swinging and swaying in real life, you're going to be doing nothing and causing, maybe you'll get an accidental hit, but eventually you're going to lose energy and you're going to to gas out and you're going to go down.
1: All right, so you took us sort of the first phase is just kind of mastering body. The yeah. second phase what?
0: The fi- second phase is mastering your mind. Mastering the mind. Yeah, and there specifically, you know, kendo teaches us something called the shikai or the four poisons of the mind, and those basically are fear, doubt, hesitation, and surprise. Those are the four things that we as humans we all subjected to. Now, kendo gives you the ability to face those fears directly. There's no other way to explain it than the raw emotions when someone's in front of you trying to beat the crap out of you, you'll feel fear. You'll doubt your own skill. You'll hesitate because you're scared and you'll be caught by surprise. Now think about that how you can take those mental faculties that you learn in Kendo, how you would translate that to maybe in a boardroom, right? Your ceo walks in, all of a sudden you know that he wants to fire a couple of people. Are you fearful? Are you gonna doubt your abilities? Are you going to be surprised or are you going to hesitate? So, those things can directly translate to something that you could use outside your life. And I'm using the boardroom as, a, as an extreme. Okay. You don't sure. want to be beating up your CEO by all means. Sure. Yeah.
1: And then, and then the last phase.
0: The last phase is obviously the emotional, the spiritual phase is where you delve deeper into Kendo and really start looking what's inside of you and questioning, you know, is this the best that you can do? And kinder gives you that ability to constantly push And you'll dig deep The idea is that you'll dig very deep now, I push my students to the point of exhaustion You know, one guy nearly passed out the one time and he, and he beat himself up so much He was saying there was only two minutes left But he couldn't do it But it was good enough for him And that's where he had to dig deep To see how much does he have And it's not about physical or mental capacity It's about dig, digging deep somewhere Where sometimes you might have to go even deeper Than just what's on the surface And that's where the spiritual side comes in
1: the second class I came to was a self-defense class and one of the things that blew me away is that you spoke about you know how much of this journey of engaging crime really starts in our own mind. Yeah. And how often we attract certain things and so forth. And and sometimes you can't escape, you know, mm-hmm. when you live in a society where there's so much brutality and violence, you can't escape. But when you were speaking, helping people understand that how you engage that moment and that that level of mastery Take us through Some of the Some of the thinking Around The self-defense The philosophy
0: Right, right So Most people When they teach self-defense They always mention Awareness The first and, first thing, the first and foremost thing Which they mention Is awareness uh, I take it back And say Well the first thing Really is self-awareness You've got to understand Yourself first Understand what makes you tick What triggers you And the question Or the primary question That I call it Is what are you willing To fight Die and kill for, and that you really have to dig deep is that before you can even learn any self-defense, you got to understand what are you willing to fight and kill for. We can break that into three things: what are you willing to fight for? Now, are there things, people, or ideals that you would fight for? Now, take the next level: is what are you willing to die for? Are there people, things, and ideals that you would die for? Let's think of all our. Let's think of Nelson Mandela. He was willing to risk his life for the freedom of this country. It was an ideal that he believed in. He would die for that. you got to ask yourself, are you willing to die for something like that as well? If, you, if it's not, then it's, is it worth fighting for? Then the last one is, are you willing to kill for it? And the idea is, should you ever be faced with a choice that you had to take another life to preserve your own life or the life of a family? Could you, would you be able to do it? And that's something which borders on ethical or religious It depends on what you are, and most people don't think about that. They respond emotionally rather than rationally, and that's what makes them a target for self. You know, for for people that are looking for soft targets. You got to understand yourself. I want to shift to, if anyone's listening and they're thinking,
1: you know, I want to contact you and I want to engage you and I want to go on this journey of connecting my mind and body. We're gonna give out your details in a moment. Awesome. But for those people who may be listening in another region of the world, what are three things they can start doing as soon as they finish listening to this podcast to start making this mind body connection?
0: Yeah. So as I said, it starts with the body first. You gotta find something which you can discipline yourself to do every single day. You know, whether it's just getting up and doing ten push ups, ten sit ups, get that. Get that discipline, that routine. Discipline is uh, synonymous with routine. Routine is synonymous with boring. So a lot of people get bored and they don't have the discipline. But if you are focused on what your target is, remember, just going for that one target, I want to lose weight or I want to have a more positive mindset or I want to eat healthier, do something every day that will give you that discipline. That would be my number one thing. Number two. Number two, confidence. Have confidence get started. Most people don't want to get started because one of the things is they're fearful they doubt. They doubt their skills, their abilities. They hesitate, or they're surprised. So you need to overcome those things to be able to get started. So confidence is a, an, another big topic which I love talking about, but it is one of the things where you have to dig deep and find what gives you the confidence. What are those positive motivators for you that will give you the confidence to get started? And that would be something practical. Find something that you, makes you feel good, All right? And do more of that. Obviously, make sure it's good and not a vice like drinking or sure. yeah
1: we know the neurobiological neuro we know the neurobiological chemicals start to shift when you change your body yeah and you know for example the superman pose and so forth any tips in terms of helping you boost your confidence by certain movements with your body
0: yeah so breathing so for me a big Big part of, it, part of it is breathing And sort of mindful meditation Now mindful meditation for me is When you meditate, don't fall asleep All right, <laughs> Try to be focused as to where you are And breathe in And that for me is a great way to sort of you know Build up that mindfulness and boost Your confidence, if you can get that started At the beginning of every day, you'd have a great day Number three Number three is about resilience Getting up when you get knocked down And that's a big one for a lot of people Is that, yeah, you're going to get knocked down But the idea is you have to get back up And we have a saying in Karate Proverbs You get knocked down eight times you got to get up nine times So that's the idea If you get knocked down, get back up And it's not as easy as It's easy to say It's harder to do but the idea is, you need to find something that will pull you back up. Whether it's someone, something, or or some goal that you're trying to accomplish, don't give up on that. I know it sounds very frivolous, but that's the best I can. I sort of discla- describe the resilience part of it.
1: What I appreciate about uh, the way you teach and your in the space that you create is a safe space. Right. Number one is no judgment. Um, one the class I came to, there were people there that were about to graduate. Something they were like near a masters, and then there were there were beginners. Yeah, and I felt the community. Great, that was the first thing. The second thing that I appreciated was the the sense that you know, it and this is rare to find is that there was so much diversity. Mm-hmm. There were women, women of different races. There were people from all sorts of backgrounds. And how do you get that right? Because in a country where people kind of live in silos right? How do you get that right?
0: Well, I think sports and martial arts Just by their very definition Allows everybody to sort of compete Kendo specifically allows everyone of all races All ages and any gender To compete on the same playing fields It's not about strength, it's not about speed It's about doing proper technique You're armored up and you have both swords But the idea is the person with the greater technique will win And in my dojo specifically we, like, we have a lot of fun but our primary principle is to be very focused on our training. We have focused training, lots of fun, but we're also family and that's what I like to endorse and keep pushing at our dojo. You regard yourself as a lifelong learner. Why? A lifelong learner. Absolutely. You know, I think every opportunity that I get, I'd like to learn something new and challenge myself. You see, listen, can I push myself a little bit higher? It's all about elevating ourselves to a to a higher standard, or hold ourselves higher to a standard. I think for that, for me, is my challenge as a martial artist and as a person. Do you have any personal goals? Any other levels?
1: Is there something above third degree something? Is there any other yeah. <laughs> is there Any other levels you want to get to as a sensei?
0: I think as a sensei, I would just like to teach more. I think that's when one of the things. I really I found myself enjoying teaching and seeing people grow, uh, not only as Kindoka as we call them, but as people. My youngest student is thirteen at the moment and I've been training her since she was eleven, ten. And she's becoming a beautiful young woman, confident, strong in, in herself and you know, I wanna see more moments of that as a sensei. So it's not for me, but it, it really is about being able to share what I've I've accumulated. And your oldest student? My oldest student's six fifty four, sorry. Fifty four. Yeah. He was uh in Germany at the time you were there, but he's back. Awesome. Yeah. Warren Thank you for joining us on The Brain and Brand Show. Thank you, Tim. It was great. Thank a you. My pleasure.
1: Thanks so much, Warren, for your dedication to teaching people how to connect their mind and body. You can check out Warren's work at his website, www.warrenho.net, and that's W-A-R-R-E-N-H-O.net, or you can email him, warren at warrenho.net. As you go away and allow this content to marinate, remember this quote by Aya Kemba. If the whole universe can be found in our own body and mind, this is where we need to make our inquiries. We all have the answers within ourselves. We just have not got in touch with them yet. The potential of finding the truth within requires faith in ourselves. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or colleague and do rate us. Until the next one.